Today I'm in studio joined by Martin Sahal, who is the CEO and co-founder of Neurals. Welcome to the studio. I, I, I don't know why I had so much trouble pronouncing that. You know, Neuralysis. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you got it from Neuralysis, right? Like, what was, what was the, the, uh, the thought so behind the name? basically, uh, we are not working with machine learning yet, but we are planning on basically having machine learning on the future. Okay. And Neural comes from Neural Networks. Got it. Then the SIS, it's basically come from information security, but... We didn't like the I, and we changed it for a Y. Got it. No, it makes sense. I think I think it's a it's a good name. I, I don't know why I'm uh, not able. Everyone to has it, the same problem, so really, no worries. Okay, yeah. interesting. Maybe well, we should change our name to Neuralsis. Maybe, maybe I think <laughs> that. Yeah, maybe. But um, let's start from the beginning, man. So Absolutely. you know, you were born and raised in Argentina, yes. right? It, it was it Buenos Aires or somewhere. Buenos Aires. Okay, and so what was uh, what was growing up there like? So when I was a little kid, uh, Buenos Aires was at completely different place than it is right now um actually it came out as one of the coolest cities in the world uh a few weeks ago okay so it's a really cool place it was really calm basically the economy was pretty different then the security also was pretty different i could play in the street without being robbed uh the neighborhood in which i was raised it's it's really calm my parents actually have been living there for more than 40 years in the same house uh, they still live there, so uh, it's it's a really cool place, actually. How often do you go back? Uh, I would say every year because okay. my parents visit me a lot, uh, and you know that being an entrepreneur, it's not easy. So I don't get that much time to visit home, but right. yeah, probably next year. Okay, and why? So what? What about your upbringing or your experience growing up? Uh, kind of set you in the direction of being an entrepreneur because I know that like. Argentina, from from what I understand, like the kind of mainstream conversation isn't that um, capitalism friendly, right? <laughs> so, like, what what kind of what 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 so put you on that? So, Argentina went through different governments, and and the, the the economy changed a lot, but still, the Argentina has spark to look for the fifth leg in the cat because we face adversity every now and then. So, everyone basically looks for new things. Uh, me as a kid. Uh, when I was five years old, my I, I remember my parents inviting people around to have dinner in our house. So and I would serve them and I would say, okay, yeah, I'm serving you, but now you need to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> so I got like a buck for yeah. serving them. And that, I think that was kind of the start in entrepreneurship. Mm. Uh, I was a pretty uh, interesting kid. Uh, I was really shy. And that basically took me to start building stuff whether it's electronic stuff or speakers uh skateboards like self-made skateboards so well that, that i i think those were the first steps in entrepreneurship then my dad uh told me how to build computers so i took that as a business so okay. basically i was sourcing parts from my brother that was working in the company that imported all the parts and then i was selling those computers that i built to my basically parents friends mm. so basically i think that was my first business when i was a kid like I was okay. seven years old yeah for sure so, and so when when did you first uh come across the internet so my dad it's a he's 75 75 years old and he's pretty geeky to put okay. it in a way yes he was one of the first internet users in argentina first one one of the first mac users in how, argentina. Do, how do you know that uh because basically I wanted to build a Mac museum and I basically contacted Apple. 
mm-hmm. to see what was the first store that sold Apple in Argentina. Contacted the guy that was the CEO, and he told me your dad was my third customer. So wow, amazing. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I was exposed to computer when I was a kid. Uh, I always loved computers. So I think when the dial-up modem uh, basically showed up, I was like, "Oh yeah, I want to start playing around with this." And <laughs> I remember my parents like trying to get out of the phone, and I was connected to the internet, so they will drop my connection, and then they will be hey martin just get off the internet <laughs> <laughs> i think every every technical co-founder every technical founder has those stories of like you know their first uh for first time using a computer first time like back in the dial-up days of of, of you know oh yeah and I, I have a pretty cool story on that that i think was my well it was my first hacking okay. engagement per se uh basically my mother was using uh her bank account so when basically home banking started making its its appearance and i said hey this is not secure at all so the home banking is just asking for your id and uh for number password so if it's that easy i can transfer money from your account to another account (laughs) and i started investigating so i'm a self-taught hacker uh i was kicked out of five different schools so uh wow pretty interesting (laughs) in uh in argentina yeah i went around to 15 schools they kicked me out of five <laughs> why what uh, were you doing were you just hacking into things uh no not exactly <laughs> okay. i'm an ethical hacker on that side yeah okay. uh, that's, oh, a good that's good that's good that's good <laughs> no i i didn't like school i have a really mm. hard time i was the bully kid in school also mm. so i didn't like to go to school i didn't like to study what they were trying to teach me uh i was just reading books by myself at home trying to learn stuff yeah. that i was interested in um so well uh basically i I learned how to write a keylogger, that it's basically a file that copies all your um, keystrokes in your keyboard. Hmm. So that's how I got uh, my mom's ID and password. Jeez, okay. Logged into her bank account and I said, hey, mom, I hacked you. She freaked out, obviously. Yes. Uh, But then she was like, but I'm going to transfer money from your account to dad's account. Just to prove that I can hack the home banking. Right. And you, obviously. Uh, so I basically did, uh, and I transferred like one dollar from her, my mom's account to my dad's account. Mm-hmm. But the cool part is that that was like the first appearing of Keylogger, and I basically embed that Keylogger into an image. That's a process called uh, steganography. So basically, I it was kind of a phishing of now, but okay. in nineteen ninety nine. Basically, yeah. okay. So basically, I sent an email with a phishing link. Uh, so when she downloaded the picture, it executed the file. So I was getting mm. uh, on my email all the passwords. <laughs> so you just <laughs> so you were just growing up hacking your mom all the time. Yes, <laughs> basically. That's so they really say, funny. oh, this this kid has a talent doing this. Yes. And the, uh, my dad sent me. On. Well, wait, well, so when did that happen? When was it a? When did it switch from this is a nuisance, like stop doing this to us to? Okay, there's opportunity here. I was you around know. 13 years old. Okay. And then basically sent me to electronic classes on how to build electronic boards. Yes. And then my dad told me, oh, you have a really cool talent in this. And he sent me to learn basically uh, networking. So when I was 15 years old, I took some Cisco classes. Uh, I got my certifications in uh, operating Cisco gear. And I found out that I could sell those services. Being 15 mm. years old, I'm working from home in my free time. Yeah. I was still in school and I was doing pretty bad in school. So 
I started selling those services to companies and I found out something pretty interesting. So multinationals that are extremely big, uh, and I'm talking about like Avery Dennison or those really big multinationals, uh, basically hire services to companies like Tata in India, right? But Tata outsources to another company called Reliance Globalcom. Okay. Then that company outsources to a third one in the Czech Republic. And mm. then that company in the Czech Republic outsources again to guys like me all over the world. So yeah. I found that process. I started selling those services to those guys, working from home, maintaining networking gear. So that basically become my first company. Wow. That's interesting. Wow. So something that uh, a parallel that I see across many uh, successful entrepreneurs is that they all started by selling personal services. Yes. Because that's, you know, when you have no money, like, you know, what else do you have besides your own thoughts to sell, right? And so I think that's that's a theme that I see play out a, a lot across most of the successful entrepreneurs that I know. That That's where they all started, um, unless they come from money, which most successful yeah. entrepreneurs don't come from money. No. Because there's a lot of uh, grit and drive that's needed that when you grow up in this kind of padded ecosystem, you know, Absolutely. you don't you don't develop that internally. Um, so when did... So when did the um, uh, kind of computer stuff and the modern day startup world for you kind of start to come together with, with, with your latest company? Great question. So uh, I had other startups. When I was 18 years old, I said, okay, yeah, uh, I really like security. So let's take it to the next level. Uh, I started a company called uh, ISNS. That was my previous security consultancy company. And I started selling different products, uh, whether it was secure communications, secure data transportation in highly secure pen drives. And then I started selling Qualys, one of the biggest vulnerability scanners in the world. So that was like my first steps in building a company itself. Obviously, we were selling penetration testing services. That's basically ethical hacking services. Hmm. So we started. Uh, I started on that. I got um, a co-founder to join me. Uh, later uh, that's another cool story um, but yeah I started selling that and I said okay yeah this is this is really cool so the way in which ISNS transitioned and moved on to Neuralis to what Neuralis is today it's basically I met uh, Diego my co-founder and um, when we met we were like oh uh, we should be working together because I'm hiring services from you you're hiring services from me and we should be working together instead of just hiring each other, right? Uh, and Diego told me, yeah, I'm thinking about building this. Uh, so that was like, the company wasn't even called Neuralis. It was called Bunavidi Insight. Uh, we were trying to build another Bunavidi scanner, but we said, yeah, that's not going to work. So basically we started shuffling ideas. Uh, basically it took us around one year and a half till we ended up in what Neuralis is actually today. So... It was it was really fun. Uh, when he started talking to me about the idea, uh, I knew that this was the right way to go because when when we finished with the idea of what Neuralis is today, we saw that it's a huge problem worldwide um, around any company. So the problem that we solve as Neuralis, and that's what we found out of basically coming from all the pen test engagements in our years as uh, consultants, was that every time we were delivering a report to a customer, we were delivering them a new problem because we were finding things that their systems 
weren't finding and now they need to fix all the things we found because many times we found critical information in those systems so we said when it comes down to basically mitigating those risks they're just sending those reports over email or asking for a an Excel spreadsheet and sending that also over email. When they assign this to the IT guys that are not technical, they waste a huge amount of time trying to actually see how, how it needs to be fixed because mm. they are not technical, right? right? So I said, why don't we build a collaboration platform that we can bring everyone together in just one place and remove the complexity out of the equation? So we are showing you a really easy to use dashboard where you can join uh, basically different teams, whether it's security, IT, the C-level itself, or risk and compliance, uh, they can all work together in the mitigation. So if we basically enable a collaborative approach and everyone can work together, they are way more effective because you know that right now there's millions of security uh, positions unfilled. And there's a huge lack of security professionals. So if we enable the correct information and the correct way of working to different people, we can actually fight that lack of professionals. Right. And, and when did you come to the U.S.? So I came to the U.S. basically for the Tech Accelerator last oh, year. Okay. Uh, that's, that was like my first step in uh, Washington, D.C. startup ecosystem. So uh, then when I finished, I went back to Argentina. But... Uh, basically, my girlfriend was here and we got married four months ago. So, Oh, congrats. Thank you. She said like, yes, uh, you need to come back fast. And when I came back, we basically said, we should be, we should get married. Uh, you, when you know, you know, so yeah. you know how it goes. And then, well, I got married and I'm living here full time uh, since six months ago, approximately. All right. Well, it's great to have you here. No, thank you. <laughs> and so when you were first starting, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to know kind of your um, your story navigating the Buenos Aires ecosystem. Oh. Because, you know, I know through doing this podcast that in markets like, like Latin America, uh, like Africa, like Southeast Asia, there's not a lot of money. Nope. There's not a lot of money. And so, like, what was your experience in the early days? So... It was a, a bumpy ride. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was fun, but I learned a lot on that experience. So obviously we were building our product, uh, basically bootstrapping by selling services. On those services, we invested uh, right back in the company to develop the platform itself and basically hire a part-time developer. And we said, uh, well, we should look for funds. Um, we obviously read about Silicon Valley heard about Silicon Valley and how the startup ecosystem is growing a lot around the world. But in Argentina, uh, a couple of years ago, that basically startup ecosystem wasn't thriving. So we said we went to Argentinian government and said, hey, guys, we want to raise money, right? Uh, and they said, okay, yeah, sounds good. You should go to Silicon Valley because we don't have many VCs right here. And the ones we have are really later stage, like series, let's say, B on. Uh, because we have a couple of unicorns in Argentina. And was that okay? Yeah, I'm taking uh, basically the first plane to Silicon Valley. Uh, got to Silicon Valley. They made a few introductions over there. But I started knocking on doors. And no one advised me that I shouldn't be doing that. So I started knocking on doors. And they were like, hey, what are you doing here? Uh, you don't come knocking on doors. You ask for introductions. Uh, second, you don't come asking for money. You come asking for advice. And we might give you money. Yeah. And then, uh, like, 
for us to invest in you, you need to be in Silicon Valley and have at least one million interaction. Mm. This was just an idea. (laughs) So basically went home with my head down and said, oh, yeah, (laughs) this didn't work. So went back to Argentinian government and said, hey, guys, uh, you got it all wrong. This is not the way it goes. This This is the Silicon Valley dream that everyone talks about, but it's not the reality itself. So basically went back and tried to work on another strategy uh, that took us to Coalition Conference in New Orleans back in 2017. Oh, wow. 2017. Okay. That was, I, w- I was actually there. Oh, really? Yeah. So we were there. part of the Alpha Startups. That was like the earliest stage okay. startups. Yes. We had a one per one meter uh, stand over there for one day. So what I did is uh, basically having learned about Silicon Valley and what they told me, I grabbed the phone app and started sending to investors and potential customers in the future. Obviously, we were too early. Just uh, like within the Collision app. Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. Just within the Collision app, I started sending to investors, hey, guys, do you have five minutes for a coffee? Uh, and many of them replied, actually. So interestingly, and that's basically the main reason why I ended up in D.C., uh, I met a guy, an investor called Matt from TDF Ventures. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they are more of a later stage one. But I pitched him my idea and he said, well, we are obviously later stage, but I can introduce you to someone running an accelerator called Mac 37 That at the time was a guy uh, called Rick. We applied, uh, ended up kind of being selected. Rick left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I reached out back to Rick uh, beginning of 2018. Uh, and Rick introduced us to Mike Ravenscroft that at the time was running Mike again. Got it. Applied again, ended up being selected again, and Mike left. But wow. okay. to our luck, Mike left to Peace Tech. Oh, I see. I see. Because, okay, that makes sense. Yes. 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 Got it. So he called us in and said, hey, guys, I know I left and the cohort fell, but I yeah. got a spot for you here. So basically, that's how we ended up here at yeah. the USIP. Awesome. Well, I mean, that's how, so we connected, we first connected, when was that? The Verizon Alley yes. co-working Nally, space. Yep. When was that? Was, the, that was probably summer, summer 2018. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That was the pitch uh, to a pretty cool crowd. Yeah. Uh, one yeah. for our first pitch uh, within uh, the Washington DC area. So it was pretty cool. Cool. And so when, like, what, so when's, when's the last time you were back in Buenos Aires? So at the end of that program, uh, I think it ended in around November or no, okay. oh, no, between September and October. I don't really remember. Uh, so we finished the program, stay here for two more weeks. And then I went back to Argentina, uh, stayed there uh, like for three months. Uh, my girlfriend came in to spend New Year's Eve then. And then around the end of January, I came back here uh, basically okay. to... I mean, and so well, the reason I ask is because I'm just curious to hear, you know, your thoughts on how um, how the Buenos Aires ecosystem has evolved yes. since, since so you first started. It's it's interesting because now that we got the investment three months ago, uh, actually one of our investors is a BC from Argentina, so from Buenos Aires, and in this I would say last two years the ecosystem grew a lot, mm. and now I could say that it's pretty solid, but. Obviously, it's it's really good to see that because when I started, obviously, they gave me the wrong directions. No one was investing. And 
I, I remember one of the first investors I pitched in Argentina. Uh, cyber was not its focus, but he said, okay, yeah, I lost the train uh, trying to invest in a company that basically works in cybersecurity for ERP security. Basically, the name is Synapsis. And I started pitching. Obviously, we had uh, we were looking out for, I would say, $1 million. That was a crazy idea. $1 million. That was your, your seed round? Uh, no. Uh, we raised 250000 So Okay. <laughs> imagine. It. Yes. But he was like, you're worth shit. Uh, and I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> we'll be back eventually. Yeah. And... It's it's fun because he lost his second train right now, um, but yeah, uh, basically we we took that experience and all the fundraising trying to fundraise in Argentina and Silicon Valley. Uh, everyone says that traction is king, right? So we started building the product, we started building traction, and that's what it took us to uh, hire basically to raise this round right now. And one of my mentors, Mike Janke, uh, co-founder of Data Drive. He, he said, when I met him, he said, uh, basically, messaging is everything. So we start changing our messaging, testing our messaging. We keep on doing that, actually. Uh, but, yeah, messaging is king. Yeah. And what, 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 market, what market do you focus on? So I have this theory that I've been developing over the past couple of months that my good friend, uh, Mark, Mark Busiku, he, uh, he's Haitian. And he started Haiti's first kind of incubator co-working space called the Banj. Um, and Haiti had some riots last week and the, the co-working space got completely destroyed. That's so sad. And so it's, it's a, it's a very sad situation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very sad for Mark, but that got me thinking and kind of started developing this thesis of, uh, countries that have a GDP, probably 15 billion is a good cutoff for GDP level. If, if countries with GDP 15 billion or below want a thriving startup ecosystem locally, then they need to focus their resources on, uh, programs for diasporans to build companies in the U.S., in Europe, in China that, uh, are committed to reinvesting some of that wealth from an exit back home. Because a, a market like Haiti, I think their GDP is maybe 8.1, 8.2 billion. It's not a big enough of a local market to, to sustain an ecosystem. You can't build a venture-backed company in, in a climate like that. Yep. Um, and so for you, I know Argentina obviously is a little bit bigger and more established market than Haiti is, but like, where do you focus your, uh, your, your, your growth on? So our growth is focused right now. Obviously, we have lots of connections to Latin America, so the idea is to keep growing Latin America. Uh, our focus for... Well, this year is ending, but for 2020, it's growing in the U.S. market. And once we have traction here, the idea is to start growing all over the world if possible. And it's it's pretty interesting what you mentioned because my wife is Puerto Rican. So I was talking to her uh, actually two days ago about Puerto Rico. And I was like, hey, uh, I haven't seen much entrepreneurship or like economy internal economic growth in puerto rico itself and obviously you know that my, uh, hurricane maria destroyed the island and interestingly uh yesterday i was reading forbes magazine and uh, orlando bravo that it's the owner and ceo of toma bravo one of the biggest p firms uh private equity firms in the world uh he's investing 100 million uh 
on a non-profit basically to promote entrepreneurship and economic growth in a really small island that its GDP it's not high enough so and it's I've been there and it's pretty green so agriculture could be really exploited in there uh, but you know entrepreneurship it's hard not everyone it's made for that uh, yeah, and then but if obviously there's there's a difference between made and well if you have it in your, in your blood or you want to basically train people to be uh, entrepreneurs obviously you said it, resources are scarce so if you enable them the resources people can actually do it yeah. it's hard I'm not going to say no it's lots of nights with no sleep uh, keep fighting but uh as a person that faced adversity all his life, I always say that if you haven't faced adversity, you don't know your own strength. And people in Puerto Rico face huge adversity. For sure. So they, I can guarantee that they are great entrepreneurs. Yeah. No, I mean, anyone, anyone who's an entrepreneur in uh, a frontier market is uh, a very tough, you have to be very tough. You have yes. to be a very, very tough person to operate in those markets because they're are so many challenges on top of the normal challenges, you know, entrepreneurs here in the U S might face, uh, when they're building their company. And, you know, I, I do believe that anyone could be an entrepreneur, but I also believe that there's a huge disconnect right now between how entrepreneurship and building a company is portrayed in the media and the reality. (laughs) Right. Um, and, and, and there's, you know, as with everything, it's a duality. Like there's a good and a bad thing about Shark Tank, right? Like it's <laughs> promoting entrepreneurship and it is inspiring people to maybe, uh, take a leap that they wouldn't have otherwise. But at the same time, if you really think that, you know, and so on Shark Tank, there are people that will, uh, go there and they'll pitch, right? And they're like off camera story is like, if this doesn't work out, like this is it. And it's like, that's like you, that's ridiculous. You can't think like that. There's there's a lot of money out there, and it's all about relationship building. It's not just like you get your one shot, and it's like American Idol, right? Like, Absolutely, yeah. And, and and you just said something really important. Uh, I learned this, and it's one of the most interesting things I always try to uh, transmit to people. I got here because of my network, so my main focus when I got back my first trip to Silicon Valley was started building a really big network. So basically where I'm at today, it's thanks to the network I built. Right. Uh, it's not because of me. It's not because of, of our technology or our team. It's because of the network I built help a lot in, in, in the path. And I told you that we have an investor from Argentina, right? Uh, it's an Argentinian VC. I met him four years ago <laughs> and I basically tormented him saying, Hey, you need to invest in us. This is good. <laughs> so yeah. that's how I did up. Uh, our investors in Silicon Valley, it's plug and play ventures. Basically, uh, yeah, no plug and play. Uh, this year, uh, beginning of the year when I got here, went to RSA conference, uh, in San Francisco. Hmm. So I met, uh, some people there. I went to several events to meet more people. I met uh, one lady there that used to work in plug and play. She introduced me to another guy. And basically, I started basically building the network inside plug and play till I got to one of my great investors, Rohit, that I have a really good personal relationship with him also besides the investment stuff. Right. So basically, it was the network I built. So network is always key. Uh, It can get you places. Yeah. Well, I I think network is key, but there's two pieces to to it. The network can get you in the door. 
Um, but you have to be good. Yes. Like, you know, whatever you're kind of selling or whatever you have has to be good, right? Uh, otherwise, Obviously. otherwise you're actually going to burn the network. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> so it's... Don't burn your bullets. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, and, and maybe it is important to, or not important, but maybe it's a good lesson for some entrepreneurs along their journey to burn some bridges in the early days because uh, you, you have to learn, right? You have to learn. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, you you and uh, and myself in the early days of, of entrepreneurship, you... It's it's more ignorance than anything else, right? Yes. You 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 do things. You, uh, I didn't I didn't know what BCC was when I first like when I graduated college and went and so like you know there's just a lot, <laughs> yeah. But um, let's talk about the cap table of uh, so like the the amount of investors that you have from Latin America versus like uh U.S. Like what's, uh, interestingly. What's the we have just one VC firm.